0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Crown Capital's Q2 2020 Results Conference Call. Please note that today's call contains forward-looking statements within the meaning of the applicable Canadian securities legislation. Forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties, as well as other factors that may cause actual financial results, performance, or achievements to be materially different from estimated future results, performance, or achievements expressed or implied by those forward-looking statements. For a description of the risks associated with Crown's business, please refer to the company's filings for Q2 2020, as well as its AIF at CDAR.com. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you need assistance, please press star zero for the operator. I'll now turn the conference over to Chris Johnson, please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Joanna. Uh, Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's call. I'm joined, as usual, by Mike Orville, our Chief Financial Officer. I hope everybody's doing well. We're now five months into the pandemic, and uh, certainly, if anybody's life like ours has been a very, very busy and disrupted time. Uh, fortunately, things are transitioning back to a bit more normal schedule for us. Uh, today, we're we're doing a webcast, so if you're listening to this uh, by recording or by the transcript notes, um, there is going to be a copy of the slides available on our website, uh, likely there today. Uh, but uh, so just. I'm going to go through case by case. Um, so, today uh, we're going to talk about um, my second quarter and then we'll get into a more descriptive business uh, description uh, as we go. So, in terms of those who followed us for many years, we first talked about our resilience of our investment portfolio. Our focus on downside protection and structuring transactions uh, for downside protection in the past period has served as well. Uh, today we're in somewhat uncharted territory, but our special situations portfolio is uh, relatively stable, and uh, we're continuing to monitor the progress of the loans on a week by week basis, and uh, and we're pretty happy with how the overall portfolio is performing. Consistent with our priorities, we outlined in Q1 2020, our team is working diligently to expand our new investment platforms, the distributed power platform, as well as the Virginie Network Services business, and while we begin the difficult but necessary work to reposition the balance sheet to a more capital-like business. We're working through the process to realize, at least in part, our two long-term investments that are on our balance sheet, which I'll review in a moment. From a financial perspective, we had a net loss in the quarter due to essentially a reversal of previously accrued uh, accrued interest uh, from Equity, but we did deliver solid adjusted funds from operations of 3.6 million in the quarter. This measure sees through investment gains and losses and highlights the underlying health and cash flow generation of the business. Looking at the alternative lending business in more detail, at quarter end we have investments of $265 million, including special situation investments of $218 million and long-term financing transactions of $35 million. Our special situation financing remain investments are managed through Crown Capital Fund, which we own approximately 40% of. In terms, of, in terms of new capital deployed in the quarter, we advanced additional five million to Care RX, which was formerly known as Centric Health, increasing this loan to 27 million. We also had a successful repayment of the Touchstone Exploration loan of 20 million, which produced a gross IRR of 16 million dollars, which is inclusive of the estimated uh, royalty payment we still have in place. Year to date, we are positive on net investments, with the additional investments in RX and CCI Wireless offsetting repayments of Touchstone, partial repayments from Ferris, and repayment of the Rockstead Bridge loan. Although we foresee benefiting from market tailwinds in the alternative lending, we are approaching new deals carefully in the short run, given the economic uncertainty and our desire to manage our own capital allocation. I'll provide color on our plans here in a moment. From a credit quality perspective, with the exception of the Pen equity and Triple Five loans, which we had some deterioration on the quarter, most of our portfolio companies have had very stable performance. We expect all of our portfolio companies are affected in some way by this shock, uh, but nevertheless, uh, we believe overall it have a minimal impact on their, business, their ability to make their payments to Crown. Looking at the two long-term investments in the second quarter, a lot of time was a, was invested to advance these loans. Uh, to repayment. Uh, for Mill Street, uh, many will know we, we have essentially demanded that loan and it's in some process of, of recovery and the uh, essentially the, the, the core businesses are being some form of uh, monetization and the process will be used to pay us back. Uh, for pay- pen equity, we're we're in the process of taking over ownership of the properties and pursuing again some form of liquidity where feasible. Uh, these are in part, some of them are longer run assets that uh, liquidity is not going to be immediately available and we'll look to move the projects ahead and, and that's how you'll get liquidity and some may be of a more short run nature. So with that, I'll ask Mike to review the financial statements and go before I go through the priorities. parts.
2: Right, thanks Chris uh, and uh, morning everyone on the line. Um, our full filings are on CDAR and the website so I'm going to keep the comments here uh, brief as usual. Uh, I'm going to begin with uh, slide 7, and I know you don't have the slides yet, but I'm going to refer to the numbers uh, as we go uh, for when they are posted. Um, slide 7 just shows the components of our total revenue, so I'll start with the revenues, uh, which increased by 21% year over year, uh, mainly due to increased interest revenue, uh, plus the addition of the network services business, which is IE. Uh, and offset uh, by uh, slightly lower net gain on investments relative to last year. Kind of just looking through these, uh, interest revenue uh, was 7.2 million. That's up 2. Uh, sorry, 26% compared with last year. That really reflects the growth of uh, the size of uh, the investment pool in Crown Partners Fund, and, and it also includes a small but growing contribution from Crown uh, Power Fund of 0.3 million this quarter. Uh, a couple of things to note in respect of our interest income in q2 Uh, one is that we did stop accruing for interest on the pen equity loan at the end of q1 there's nothing in here in q2 Uh, and we also in q2 reclassified 5.7 million dollars of accrued interest uh, on this loan from accounts receivable to the gross carrying value of the loan on the balance sheet the second thing to note uh, because we're often asked about um, you know loans that uh, are uh, on pick, where we're capitalizing the interest. Uh, consistent with Q1, there were two loans, again in Q2, for which regular interest was capitalized to the respective loan balances. Uh, there was also an additional loan that was amended uh, and for which we began to earn some incremental PIC interest, but that's on top of its normal cash coupon interest, which is current, uh, such that our total PIC interest in the quarter did increase, uh, but only slightly. Fees and other income in Q2 were .8 million, uh, same as in the prior year. Uh, in the current quarter, we had uh, transaction fees and other income of .5 million that included uh, a repayment fee uh, in relation to the touchstone repayment, a partial, uh, uh, we had a, a small fee from the partial repayment of the Ferris loan, and fees from uh, another loan that was amended. We also earned uh, an additional fee of $0.1 million on an amortized cost loan that doesn't show up in revenues as it was deferred in the quarter. You'll see that we recorded a net investment gain of $3.4 million in Q2. Just to explain that, uh, broadly speaking, it's comprised of three things. One is a realized gain of $0.9 million from the touchstone loan repayment. Two. We had an aggregate net unrealized gain of $0.2 million, uh, for all of the investments that we carry at uh, fair value, so fairly flattish performance there, to be clear. And the biggest component was $2.3 million of aggregate unrealized gains that we recognized in relation to amendments that we made on two loans carried at amortized costs. I'll note that although we had to recognize these unrealized gains under IFRS 9 uh, when we amended the loans, the carrying value of those two loans are still less than their respective PAR values despite the write-ups here. Shifting to the next slide, which uh, really just summarizes uh, uh, some more aspects of the financial results, we we reported a net loss of $1.6 million in the quarter uh, compared with net income of $2.3 million last year. Uh, the net loss in the current period mainly reflects a provision for credit losses of 3.9 million. Uh, that uh, is, uh, in itself, primarily in respect of the loan uh, that we have with Penn Equity uh, Realty Corp. Uh, recall that uh, that Penn Equity loan had a par value of 25 million dollars. Again, we 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 had 5.7 million of accrued interest that we've capitalized to the investment balance. Uh, in aggregate, we've now got a 3.9 million dollar allowance. On the aggregate investment in PEN equity which essentially means uh, that we've now just written off a portion of the accrued interest as Chris mentioned earlier in the financial statements you'll see that we moved the PEN equity loan to a stage three classification that's our only loan in that class Uh, we have eight other amortized cost loans five are in stage two three are in stage one other things I'll mention from these results uh, we had a net we Included in our net loss is a net loss attributable to wire IE of 0.9 million. Uh, as in prior quarters, that is the product of a steep depreciation and amortization expense, uh, which was a uh, million dollars this quarter. Uh, so, you know, net of that, uh, you had wire IE uh, contributing positive EBITDA again in Q2, but it does impact uh, pretty heavily our reported uh, earnings. Uh, We recorded a $0.7 million impairment charge uh, in relation to uh, Crown Power Fund Uh, that relates to distributed power equipment under development uh, where we've determined that certain of the capitalized costs that uh, 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 we've recorded in connection with a project are are no longer expected to be recoverable uh, if we hit hurdle target rates for that project. Uh, As Chris referenced, the adjusted funds from operations uh, showed a nice increase this quarter 3.6 million. That's 38 cents per basic share uh, compared to 2 million or 21 cents per share in Q2 of last year. Year to date, the AFFO was 7.8 million, uh, more than double the prior year. The next slide is slide uh, slide nine. Um, Here's just a summary of uh, assets, equity, and equity per share. Um, and how it's been trending Uh, total assets increased from about 300 million at year end up to about 325 million this quarter uh, to do mainly to new loan advances at Crown partners uh, funds which were partially offset by the uh, early repayments um, in the quarter uh, touchstone in particular Uh, also contributing to that was the addition of the amount in relation to crown power fund um, where you'll see the investment spread across a few of the balance sheet categories Total equity is now 93 million. That's $9.90 per basic share, compares with $10.38 per share at the end of 2019. Uh, that decrease uh, is attributable in, uh, really to net losses and to dividends uh, that we paid of, of 1.4 million. And I'm gonna walk through this a little bit more closely on the next slide. Uh, over the past 12 months, we've paid $5.9 million to shareholders through dividends and buybacks. As it relates to buybacks, we acquired and canceled approximately 39,000 shares in the second quarter through the NCIB. As Chris uh, will discuss, we expect to allocate additional capital towards buybacks as well as other uses as we repatriate capital uh, through the uh, balance sheet repositioning process that we've begun. Uh, Finally, uh, slide 10, uh, for those on the line, when you see this, what you'll see is it's a bridge. That uh, between total equity at year-end 2019 and uh, the end of the second quarter, um, uh, again just to, to recap, total equity did decline uh, by from 97.5 million to 93 million. What we wanted to illustrate here for people is that um, we did have fairly substantial positive adjusted funds from operations. Um, that, uh, I, I, as you'll note in the AFFO reconciliation table, uh, works its way down to a net loss of $2.8 million. Um, You know, We wanted to show that in the context of the move in the book value here. The biggest moves uh, or contributors to the negative move in book value are, again, $2.3 million of depreciation expense year-to-date, relates almost entirely to YRIE, $4.2 million provision for credit losses, which is um, mostly, uh, again, related to the partial write-off of the interest um, of, of pet equity, so that the provision that we've taken against the pet equity investment, um, and uh, again, dividends and share repurchases of uh, totaling $1.6 million uh, year to date. So those are the biggest components in that downward move. We just wanted to uh, make sure that people were clear as to what was, uh, what was, what was behind that. Uh, with that, uh, I'm going to turn it uh, back to uh, Chris to uh, walk through uh, some of our strategic priorities.
1: Okay, well, great. Thanks, Mike. Um, so, I think the the key here now is to talk about really what is our, our big picture, and then we'll drill into some of the more uh, platform-specific issues as we go. So, as we discussed in our Q1 results call, we, we've set two main priorities from us for ourselves. You know, the first is really to reflect on expanding the business and unlocking new revenue streams. But the second is really recognizing that the status quo was not working for us. Crown has traded a persistent discount to underlying net asset value for the last five years and we recognize we need a different path forward. So really our first priority is to expand and diversify the platform. We see numerous market opportunities, um, both in the lending business where we've uh, historically generated our, our revenue, but also in new new lines of business. These new lines of business are prioritizing recurring revenue businesses. So our power business, a telecom business fit into that. And finally, we were looking for things that generate non-investment earnings. This really means businesses that generate revenue and and profit that doesn't require a balance sheet uh, to, to get there. And, and that's. That's again represented by both the Power and Telecom platforms we're developing. Uh, but second, the difficult and challenging work of repositioning the balance sheet. We, to, to, to execute this and be highly profitable, we need to move to more of a capital-like model. We need to source, seed and structure new business lines and we also need to improve our overall capital efficiency. So while this path will create some short-term issues, including some uneven earnings, through the execution of the strategy, our belief is will emerge as a much more diversified platform with a larger market opportunity. Earnings per share is the most powerful way to measure shareholder returns. And we believe these will change, will better position us for growth in earnings per share for the next 12 to 24 months. So as you look at the business today, we have three investment platforms corporate finance, distributed power, and network services. And each of these we offer, we believe offers significant upside in terms of both AUM growth and earnings per share. In this presentation, we have highlighted multiple revenue streams and targeted investment for each invest strategy. From a capital perspective, our focus is to leverage third-party capital and grow assets and fees. We also expect to capture upside from our ownership interests in the operating businesses over time. In terms of our three-year prior targets, we're aiming for $500 million of assets to be deployed in corporate finance which is higher than we've talked about in the past, and that really reflects the market condition we're seeing unfold before us now. And again, an, a similarly, half a billion dollars in terms of distributed power. It's still fairly early to put a specific target on network services. Um, I, I, I'd say it's gonna be a very large fund. I think that the we target the market is still being a billion dollars just to try and say exactly what's gonna be developed in the next three years. It's a little too early to talk about that. So in terms of our transition to capital A model, the, uh, we're looking to reduce the ownership and lending assets to overall $25 million the, and, and also to realize on long-term investments. Now, those are going to be taking a different paths to get there and, and different timeframes. Um, in terms of our, you know, probably the easiest thing to do in terms of our short-term deals is just let them run out. Uh, alternatively, we could look to some transactions that might accelerate that, which we have a number of uh, ideas and things underway with that. The long-term investments, as you know, we've got the two positions. Uh, I, I do think that we seem to be in a good path on the Mill Street uh, recovery and uh, and Penn Equity. Just given the nature of this business and commercial real estate assets in today's marketplace are very illiquid. Uh, it, it's just a much longer cycle. Now, in terms of the properties, will end up with three properties and each has its own unique uh, market position and and, and they're not all going to be done exactly at the same time. So we're likely to see some liquidity um, as as we move those projects forward before we ultimately see a full recovery. And then the funds will be used uh, for strategic investments. Uh, I think you'll see us make uh, some some additional directions on these recurring revenue platform businesses uh, we're working on, uh, but we're also going to look to additional share buybacks and deleveraging. Today we traded a greater than fifty percent discount to our book value, which we think is uh, highly undervalued and, and frankly that 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 causes us to say one of the best investments we make is is just buying our own shares back. Uh, there There's a lot of money. Obviously, when we look through existing balance sheet, we have about $60 million of capital that, uh, that is potentially available to redeploy and reduce our balance sheet intensity and, and, and find new opportunities. Again, back to the overall thesis, uh, whatever we're gonna do with this capital as it gets moved around is with the goal to increase our earnings per share. So onto the enabling entrepreneurs slide here, uh, our, our special situations business. Um, we are extremely bullish on the prospects of this business. The, we have a 20-year track record in this marketplace and we have one of the better performance histories, uh, some outstanding relationships with market participants and, and a really strong reputation. In just in Canada alone, there's 6,000 mid-market companies uh, that are using capital and operate their business and growing and doing interesting things. And we see this as a somewhat perpetually underservice market, but in market conditions like today, um, and which we expect to be somewhat of a, a, a three to five year cycle, um, being very underserviced. So to put a finer point on our performance, because this becomes key to our ability to raise more money, um, we have uh, you know, a lifetime track record of 14% on all of our, all of our transactions, which is you know, very, very strong in our industry. Uh, and most notably is, is really the, the, the low volatility that comes out of this. So the chart on page 17 really goes through that virtually all the transactions we do, do exactly what they say they're gonna do. We we collect our return in the range of 10 to 20%. We have some outstanding out situations where we get greater than 30%. And again, for booking loans, when you're doing 10 to 12% coupons, to get over 30% really means something's gone really right, directly kicker. And as many of you know and have followed us for the years, uh, things do go wrong. These are these are operating businesses, small and mid-sized companies that you know, don't always do what they say they're going to do or have adverse consequences that come out of something and we take losses. But history has shown that our, our gains are always greater than our losses in terms of dollar and numbers. Um, it's just on the chart here, it's really a two for one uh, in terms of uh, what goes well and that really which drives performance. So. Just as many of you know, we we took an impairment of soil liquor uh, last year, Um, uh, but again, that's in the fund right now that's still generating close to 13% returns and and, and that loss is entirely paid out of the the fund profits. Many are listed here on the chart where we've had some very good returns. So in terms of what's next, and as we look at the, the market. Uh, this is this, this, as I said, has gone from a half a billion dollar market to for opportunities to a billion. And really, what that is is our history to date has been more focused around that extra bit of second lien money or stretch money, the non-bank money. But where we're seeing the market evolve right now, and, and somewhat similar to what we've done in um, just to the care of our X transaction is, we took essentially the entirety of the the, the debt stack, and uh, so we, we we provided a. What within the trade is called the unit facility where we're both at the same time a senior lender and the junior lender in one note and, and that just drives larger numbers if, if you take a 30 million dollar transaction like rx maybe 20 is the senior piece and 10 is the uh, the junior piece so in a way it, it's three times the amount of business and that's just that one transaction um, mind you, but the that we would do before. We would have, done, we would have seen the market up to before. So a billion dollars is absolutely the, the right number for us now. Um, and, and so our priorities in the short term is, uh, first and foremost, we need to support our current portfolio companies. Uh, we have a number of companies that are performing really well and some that are just needing a little more support. So we uh, continue to work with them and stay very close. Um, as I said earlier, we don't expect any failures in our portfolio. We, we have some of the best leading companies in their industries, and, and we expect them to get through this. Uh, second, we need to be seeking liquidity from the higher risk loans. I think that is what we should do as a portfolio manager, and uh, so we'll be seeing us maybe move a little more quickly to uh, to, to, to realize those in than, than, than calmer periods of time. And, and lastly, in the short term, we're looking to raise new money. We, we see a good opportunity to both, you know, continue our institutional roots, but also open the doors for some more retail-based financing. Uh, these, these are really the, um, the retail broker type of network where we've historically not raised any money out of and uh, again, we see that the idea of recurring revenue and yield in an environment where you know, rates are very, very low um, being attractive and it's a, it's a significant source of funding for us. The medium term priorities are really just to capitalize on the favorable market cycle. Um, we'll get back to doing what was four, five, six deals a year, um, again, maybe larger transaction sizes. And that's, uh, you know, as, as you know from previous calls, um, we've been in a very aggressive credit cycle the last two years, and we've gone down to doing one or two deals a year, or three deals a year. Said, that, that's an under, um, that, that's really a low market year for us, so you know, we see it coming back to normal or even higher than normal in, in this market cycle. As I mentioned, we want to add senior debt, unit trust capacity. That's really, a, I think, just it's an opportunity for us, but it also creates a better risk return uh, metrics for us. We get to have a more stabilized capital structure where the uh, entirety of the debt stack. And lastly, we really want to get back to growing the portfolio and diversifying the portfolio. Like we do expect, um, you know, as to date, we're already sort of net positive on that, and we expect to stay net positive as we deploy more money at, uh, over what's going to be returned. In this existing portfolio. So on to our distributed power uh, business. Um, the, we just passed the two-year anniversary of the fund launch. Uh, we've had a number of ups and downs. Uh, creating something from absolute scratch uh, has it certainly its shares of highs and lows. And, uh, but we remain really confident that this market, uh, there is a market for lower-cost and more reliable power supply. So, over the past 10 years, we've seen electrical users in many markets have seen massive price increases. In Ontario, for example, which is really where we started this business, the power prices have doubled over the last 10 years. And that, that's really a function of prior decisions uh, and made. Like a lot of things in Ontario people will be aware of the um, just the early invent, the early adopter of wind and solar, and and that's a at a higher cost than existing uh, power supply, but also we have an aging distribution system in Ontario that uh, that that costs money, and that's all really going to be reflected in bills. So really, there, what we see is is an ever-inflating uh, grid price, and uh, and and thousands of companies, uh, very large companies with well, over a thousand, you know, at more than 500 kilowatts. Those would be very large users. Um, that really are just price takers. They really have very few options short of what we're proposing is on-site generation. Similarly, we see an opportunity in Alberta where the market's going through a phasing out of the coal plants, which is in, in, in the market the lowest cost of the uh, power supply, and it's being replaced by wind, solar, and natural gas. And 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 that's most of our projects are. Are targeting the conversion of natural gas and electricity on an on-site basis, and then lastly, the United States is, uh, is, is probably our—it will be our next target. We're just in the process of bulking up what we have in those core markets, in, in Canada, being Ontario and Alberta, and then we'll be targeting the United States. And uh, again, the, the view of distributed generation in a market such as the Northeast U.S. or California, where um, again, the grid is, is, is fairly uh, um, aged and, uh, and has quality problems and reliability problems. That's where you see uh, you know, a real opportunity for onsite generation. Um, I, I won't. I'll just highlight the benefits. We have a fairly dense amount of words on page 21 here uh, in terms of just what the benefits are. But the main benefits are: it's it's, it's more efficient, it's more cost-effective. We can build the plant quicker. The plant is far more flexible and it's responsive to the localized need of the customer. Um, it, it is essentially the grid of the future. It is is taking large users off and having bespoke power plants for them, and 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 then using the large centralized generation facilities and the the broad-based transmission distribution networks to deal with the, the smaller consumers. So in terms of what we're trying to do, um, what we're we're working on is partnering with developers. Like we want to we want to get the maximum scale here and, and rather than just trying to go after end user by end user, um, we really see the uh, the value of having relationships with developer partners who have local knowledge or or specific industry knowledge. Um, that that that'll that'll be more successful in a given vertical, and we'll we'll partner with them. And and in, in doing so, uh, the fund will be the essentially the sole capital provider for the business. Uh, but but between Crown and the fund, we will establish a minimum of 50% ownership interest in each operating partner. The projects themselves are to a diversified group of end customers. Uh, we're creating very long-term uh, cash flows through 10 to 20-year power purchase agreements. We're getting. A pipe, we have a pipeline of, of growing. The pipeline grew about $70 in the last quarter um, uh, as just a variety of different industries, and, you know, ranging from multi residential properties and industrial properties and municipal buildings. Uh, and we're really seeing accelerated growth through 2020. And the role of the capital providers, being the Crown and, 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 and indirectly through the fund, Crown Power Fund, is to own and, and and lease these DEP stands for distributed energy projects to these special purpose vehicles that provide energy to the end customers. The, uh, we get a monthly lease payment plus a share of the operating profits. And, and essentially, we're doing is getting utility-like revenue. So today, we have seven development partners. We, we intend to add more. Uh, there's 12 projects. More than 12 projects that are you know, in the process of being developed or live. Uh, these, these take, go to anywhere between six months and over 12 months to, to get developed, depending on what you're doing. Uh, the pipeline is growing and we have $60 million committed capital right now. So in terms of what this means to us, the, uh, the I'll just kind of work on the EBITDA part of the slide. But the, we've estimated for about $250 million of assets, which is, we wanted to stop there because that's essentially what we have in the pipeline and what's already deployed, process being deployed. It's about a $5 million EBITDA contribution. And it's just important to compare that to, and that's, that's after our cost of managing it, and it's important to compare that to what $250 million of lending assets look like. And when, I would say the, probably the best case scenario is we, we generate maybe 50 basis points of, of margin off of that or 100 if things were outstanding fees. But, you know, we, we really, it, it's, it's, it's a much bigger needle mover for shareholders as we develop this business. And, and secondly, it's more recurrent. That the, you know, I've obviously spent my career in building special situations lending business, but, uh, you know, you need to regenerate that business every two to three years, whereas everything we're doing in this power business is still going to be here in two to three years and likely 10 or 20 years even. So it becomes a much more aggregation model than just the the lending uh, business on its own. So in terms of what's next, we talk about a billion dollar market opportunity here. And uh, again, I, I can probably you know, tell you one of the verticals in in even a couple jurisdictions could be a billion dollars on its own. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a much bigger number than that. Um, it's just again, we're somewhat early in the development of this thing and it's early in the industry development of this thing. And so in the short term, our priorities are really just to add more projects. Uh, we we need to keep processing deals. You know, we want to add new developer partners and get get uh, you know the, the the kind of quilt work finished where we have the major sections we see as being opportunities completed. And we want to raise more capital, both limited partner capital as well as debt capital. I Think over the medium term, though, our focus needs to be how do we really scale this thing. And that's that's looking at new regions, primarily the U.S. Uh, we need to advance fund leverage the. The benefit of infrastructure assets is they do lend themselves to very high leverage, which is great for owners. And uh, and, and lastly, uh, and just I'll also add that the rate right environment is is quite attractive now, and we expect it to stay in that way for a long time as the world works through its issues it's going through right now because of COVID. And uh, and lastly, we want to scale our fee-paying client base. Like that is. Uh, so it's important to note that we get paid multiple ways out of this business. As the fund grows, we get more manager fees. But as the operators grow, we get more operating profits. So, in terms of network services, um, I, I think it's 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 early. We wanted to discuss some of it because we have an investment wire. It's about ten million dollars of our capital is working there right now, um, and it's part. I think it's part of the future. Um, I, I say I think because it is still early. Um, what we see there is a lot of similarities to what we see in the power fund, in the sense that it's just it's a very big market. It's it's a service that every well, everybody's on the web, cache right now is using right now, like it's ubiquitous now. It's uh, uh, wasn't the case maybe 20 years ago, but broadband uh, connectivity is ubiquitous, and it's really dominated by large um, kind of incumbent slash monopolistic type of companies and. And and in the cracks of those, like I would never want to go head to head with a monopoly. Just like I'm not intending to head to head with a monopoly on a on the power generation project. Um, but in in those market conditions, are fairly you know attractive gaps. And and we have a really nice gap that WIREE is servicing right now, and uh, we're working on others. And and the question is, is how scalable is this? So. Our focus is more the rural, remote telecommunications markets where we can build very uh, defendable niches, and we're targeting the, the recurring revenue model. Like this is a, a, essentially another form of utility type of uh, business, and uh, we also see the opportunity. Maybe unlike the power space, uh, where there's a lot more opportunity to grow through M&A, uh, there, there already are different companies with network. Uh, platforms that uh, really are small companies struggle to raise capital so they end up hitting this capital wall which were again the, the idea of putting a fund together that uh, owns the networks and, uh, and and earns that recurring revenue model we think is also attractive from the uh, investor universe as well so what we're looking for is again just diversified group and customers you know we have large carriers we support um, in terms of a subcarrier network we, we're working with some municipalities under the Notes here we have two community network opportunities we're, we're under review right now, and, and just end customers, you know, large um, remote operation businesses uh, that, you know, there's no fiber to their locations and they need high speed to operate their business. Uh, like, just think of the, uh, you know, some of the customers we have through IRE are in the drilling, you know, oil and gas drilling business, like some large, large companies um, that. Uh, you're out in no man's land. There's there's no fiber, so you need to end up with but you need, but you want the data moving because that's critical, extremely expensive uh, operation you have operating you have going on there. So you, you need that data. So that's really the type of customers we're looking to support. Uh, the benefit again is again we're just creating utility like cash flows and uh, and additional profitability opportunities so that you know while we will make good money and recurring revenue from the network services, we think by taking a Advanced position and ownership in the developers will end up with a, a share of, of developer profits as well. So that's it for the, the formal notes. I just to summarize. Um, clearly, there's a lot of work to be done uh, on all levels, uh, in, in terms of all three of our platforms, as well as the, you know, Crown Capital balance sheet itself. But um, the path is becoming clear in terms of what we need to do to. Uh, to move this company forward to drive to that earnings per share number we're targeting and and ultimately drive shareholder value. So with that, I'll turn it over for questions.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment, please. For your first question. Your first question comes from Chris Murray from ATP Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
1: Yeah, thanks,
3: folks. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> hey, Chris. I know we've uh, we've talked about a lot of this stuff, so I don't want to I don't want to belabor a lot of the points. But but in, in your slides, um, I'm looking at slide 23, which is the um, just talking about the the returns you guys are looking at around the. Um, the power business. So could we just talk about this a little bit? Um, You you know, you made the comment that the returns um, on the power business are better than what you would normally see out of the the conventional lending business. And I understand your point about um, not having refinancing issues and risk on that. Um, But can you just walk us through the mechanics? Um, Just because, you know, when I think about, you know, making making a $250 million investment for $5 million in EBITDA a year, just seems like, um, a little light, but but maybe I'm missing something. So if you just wanna maybe help me out with that.
1: Yeah, okay, uh, maybe you're missing that that's not necessarily Crown's money at all. Like that's third party capital. So if I just look at it from a fund management model, I run two hundred fifty million dollars of third party money in a debt fund or two hundred fifty million dollars of money in a in a power fund, what kicks out the other side? Like this maybe goes back to the the, the desire to have a more capital like balance sheet where yeah that that's that those are that's just the manager economics we're showing here. Okay. And and so to walk you through that, like I, you know, just without getting the specifics of what we charge, but let's just say the average private capital model is maybe two percent manager fees, and the debt model it maybe gets closer to one and a half percent management fees. And uh, and then and then it costs you something to get you there. And that's that's the my point is that you know we're probably in a I don't think anybody's got an exact number here because costs get blurred together. And but if I've talked to our peers in the space, it seems to be the the 50 basis point net profit off of a managed debt fund seems to be about the right number. So maybe we end up with about a million a quarter um, profit if we run a 250 million in our debt fund. As I said, we think that can get to a billion dollars, and that's you know, I think that's that's decent earnings. I'm certainly not going to say no thank you to that and. Uh, but in terms of scalability and, and, and impact on bottom line, um, it's, it has somewhat of a limited effect. Versus the power business, um, and this, this actually gets better over time because of that, that ability to you know, compound the portfolio. If you, you know, in our case, we you know, management fees are even lower still. Let's say we're charging one percent management fees, but because we're taking a fifty percent Collective interest in, in the developer partners, and as they become more profitable, we end up basically taking our share of their EBITDA in, in the, into our balance sheet. And so we have seven companies today. Imagine in the future you would have, you know, ten or twenty or something like that. Um, you're getting a share of each of those guys' profits, and the, and and it, it's it could be more. As well as the plus sign there, like it's it, it depending on how the projects are structured and what they're doing, these guys can be highly profitable, and uh, and and again we have a direct share of that.
3: Okay. So maybe a different way to think about it, Um, if you were to think about your actual, call it, you know, and you want to go be capital-like balance sheet, um, you know, what would be your target return on capital then or return on equity, however you want to frame it, for the power fund? I mean, I go back and I start looking at some of your returns in the um in the conventional lending fund and, and I agree like there there's been some difficulty but as you said you know you've you've been in that mid teens IRR type number now for for a long time um you know is this something that you believe that you can be in the same type of IRRs or or with just less risk is, is that Oh no, this, this one this one's lower part? Chris
1: Yeah no right, the power of space <clears throat> it, it's it's it, on a net return basis to our investors we're targeting something you know in the High single digits, low double digits. It really depends on, you know, leverage we deploy, and uh, and again, the the fund owns a share of these developed profits, and how much of that rolling through. But that, that that's that's uh, that that's more than sufficient, you know, risk return uh, for both the institutional and the retail markets we're targeting right now. Nobody is saying that the that we've talked to says those returns are not high enough. Yeah. Um, so they, and on the broadband side, depends what you're doing. Like it's uh, like we have a range of opportunities, like in some, some of our contracts are supporting Government of Canada users and have major carrier counterparties. And if you were to sort of pass through the risk there, you probably at like a you know, cost of capital of 100 basis points. And, and we're earning a lot more than that. I won't get into the very specific of that one, but it's uh, like, so that one, if I could even put a five handle on that, you'd say, well, geez, that's really attractive risk turn spectrum depending on who's, who's, who's assessing that risk. So it's um, like it, the, the returns of these. We're moving more in these utility type categories. They're going to be lower than, the, and even I should I should say that our return expectations for the the, the next generation of fund we're working on right now is going to be lower than our past only because we're blurring a bit more senior debt into it. And again, like, but I've I've yet to find an investor either institutional or retail that doesn't feel that. High single digits or low double digits for recurring revenue yield based product is is not enough.
3: Okay. Um, and then just you know, kind of thinking about the mechanics, maybe more near term. Um, I think you made the comment that you're going to start seeing. I mean, it's been a been a call it the last maybe couple years or or since you've launched the fund of investing in it and and doing the development. Um, How do we think about either revenues or earnings um, layering into your earnings as we move through this year?
1: Well, so again, we got the – let's just go business by business. Like the – as the assets get working, um, two things are happening. Like we have used some investment today. Like it's just – and again, the difference between maybe our past model and the one we're moving towards is just – we're gonna have a whole lot less money tied into that. Like the, uh, the the goal is to be, you know, capped at about 25 million dollars as opposed to start at 25 million. And so we're we're gonna get our revenue off of that, like just like our clients are getting the revenue off of that. Uh, and and but then you know we get management fees that start accumulating off of that. So the uh, you know given the issues we had as we worked through, I think everybody knows the project. Um, you know, one of our early developers. Who we had some issues with, and ultimately had to take over some projects. And you know, it was really a, a workout year, It's because small. And we had you know, these were dominant projects. We waived management fees last year on the power fund. It was, wasn't a big number either way, because it wasn't a lot of assets working. Um, but you know, we're starting management fees this year, and, uh, and as that fund grows, we'll learn more. The, the real torque though comes from. As these developers get their projects moving and working and producing revenue um, they they have two things they have development fees they earn, but they also earn uh, uh basically the spread so they you know there's a cost of funds through the fund that, uh, that that is that's fixed and then you know however they price their deals is their net profit so they end up and you know becoming more profitable as that recurs, you know, as you add more projects, you just add more layering on of earnings to the business and again more development fees. So sometimes like some of them are going to be profitable this year, some will be profitable next year, and in the course of the next two, three, four years, uh, we're expecting multiple profitable and some significantly profitable. And again, that just rolls there, there's no need for them to hold cash or their profits. So those are distributed up through the owners and again that's that's ultimately that's but the, one of the core parts of crowd strategy is to is to take a direct ownership interest in 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 the type of things we we invested, and in where we can get a lot more return for shareholders out of.
3: Okay, great. Um, next question, just you know, and, I, and I'll be careful about how we can how much we can talk about this, but um, can you walk us through kind of some of the moving parts on um, both the Penn Equity and the Mill Street uh, loans? Um, it sounds like you've Got collateral in terms of the real estate on the one loan and now it's a matter of just selling that or maybe operating it for a while until you sell it um, and then maybe just some other details on how you think that the mill street process unwinds and you you, you were kind of um, maybe indeterminate on timing of, of getting those so any any clear clarity would be appreciated
0: so
1: like yeah, they're 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 active files and there's confidential information I need to preserve and uh we don't really wanna get into the exact details, but I'll I'll try to answer your question as best I can. Um I'll start Milstreet because I think it's easier. Uh like we we, we as I said in the in, uh, it's all public record now because it's in the court system, but in late March we demand our note by mid May we had a receiver report appointed, receiver appointed. Um there's, it's a business that owns other businesses, and uh, they're in the process of seeking liquidity on, on a number of them. And uh, you know, some, some of those, those processes are well advanced, and when they're advanced, it's, the money will be directed back to paying our loans. So we have reasonably good line of sight of that occurring. Um, there are as I said, some very good businesses in there. And uh, so we, we do expect that process to come to a natural end, and sell them selling the companies and paying us back, and we move on. Pent um, Equity is a little more difficult because you have very liquid assets. Um, like we, I like think in previous call we talked about, um, you know, as our risk rating moved up, it was really because they had a, 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 an event and a challenge at one of their core properties that somehow had collateral from other properties, and so it, we, you know, loan to value moved up fairly. Um, Quickly on us uh, as that was happening, and, and we're at a point right now where we were kind of at 100% loan to value, and 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 when we get there, we don't really want to just be a lender at that time. We start feeling that if we 100% loan to value, we essentially are the owner, and we may as well have the ownership economics. And so we are in the process of working with the management group, who we think is a very good, strong management team. It's just these are. Um, these are somewhat events beyond their control that uh, we've gotten here. Like the you know, the retail world is shifting very quickly. And uh, um so that that's something they're dealing with. And what does the future retail site look like is somewhat unknown. And and so what we're end up with is is this uh, there's three projects that uh, are have various stages of completion. You know one is is, is rare very near to complete and uh one is very early in the process, where it's mapped out and moving forward. And, and uh, I think if you tried to you know, force those type of assets in the market today, they'd essentially go no bid and, or, or no bid or stink bid. Either way, we don't feel that it's the right thing for us to, to sort of just evaporate earnings or, or value. Um, let's get in there, work with the management, stabilize the assets and, and move them forward and, and try and find how to create value there. So the consequence is, yeah, we're gonna be owners of properties as opposed to lenders supported by properties. And uh, you know, some I said are near completion, which will give us some liquidity. And others I you know, maybe there's some liquidity options along the way. Um, but in the meantime, like sitting on a project that's not moving is, is a very risky place to be. So we need to, you know, work with this management team to see these projects move ahead.
3: Okay, and and you were saying like one's near complete, and the other two would they be complete this year, or next year?
1: Yeah, no more longer than that. So, and and then again, these these lots have phases in them. So they, um, yeah. So the one is uh, it, it's it's virtually complete, and then there's some you know, small piece of raw land that's uh, that's like a phase one B kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, and and the others are uh, you know they're they're zoned, their site plan approved, and. Uh, you know, there's leasing activity taking place. And, you know, uh, so there's you just some of it, some of it dirt's being moved, and it's it's gonna start getting built right away. And uh, so, but it could take three, four years if it, if you saw the whole thing through. Okay, that's helpful for uh, framing it. Thanks, guys. Yep.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. As a reminder, should you have any questions, please press star one now. So your next question comes from Trevor Reynolds at Acumen Capital. Please go ahead.
1: Hey guys. Um just uh just curious about the you know getting that two hundred million uh capital deployment and what you guys see uh or on the current project timeline. Like what's your what do you expect the timeline on on that to be deployed? Um, and uh you know when do you expect to need to increase the size of that fund? Yeah, we're yeah, we're increasing size of fund right now. It's an active mm-hmm. fundraising process, and, uh, and 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 frankly, that's probably the biggest gate and issue to to getting to that full 200 is that we don't have availability of funds to get to the upper end of that. So we need to need to move that ahead. So what what let's assume that came in the door at the end of August, which we won't we'll be not far behind there. But um, you still got to get through. Um, just the the whole engineering phase and then construction phase and then before it really is up and working but you know we charge fees on the assets so even if the assets are being built uh, before they're actually producing you know uh, electrical revenue uh, you're, you're generating project revenue like so there's still some capitalized interest that goes through that you know so there's some return and management fees coming off of that developers are making development fees for doing it as well so like it, it's sort of like a blurry start line and finish line as you go, depending on how that reads. But I, if the money became available right now, I, I would say we have it all locked up and more or less operating by the end of next year. Got it. Thanks. And then um, just kind of, you know, the 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 state in terms of uh, decreasing your your position in the the other fund from that 39% to the targeted 20% how does that uh, how does that look in terms of timing in in your eyes um, that's that's a tough one um like it's it, it's tough for a couple of reasons like for starters the last four months have been anything but normal in terms of financial markets so um it, it, nobody's really been doing anything and and even the secondary funds out there it just it, there's been a lot of just sort of wait and see um kind of mentality. Um, secondly, is just a couple names in our portfolio that um, just people would want to see some resolution on, and uh, so that's happening at the same time. So the, really, the goal wasn't to go out there and get that done in one quarter. It's like we got to deal with this in terms of what's in the portfolio, and then wait for market conditions to open up. Um, we're, we're, as I said earlier, it's a stale portfolio. We actually the, we, we went in with a couple sort of. Yellow lights and red lights in the portfolio, and, and those are the ones we spend most time with—they're they're performing far better than we would have thought they would through this, and uh, in fact, performing in some cases outright very well. Um, so that—that—that that, that is a good portfolio of assets that's going to deliver um, a good overall return for the limited partners. So there are certain buyers for that, and uh, so we need to we need to get some thought to. That and and is also so sort of actively in the market for a new debt fund. Is it is it increasing this current one, or is it, uh, is it just launching our fifth fund? That's still you know somewhat undecided and uh, and but there's a couple options you have in either strategies to reduce crowns interest. Um, you know for example, if you launch the fifth fund, you could maybe potentially transfer some assets from fund four over to fund five, and uh, that would then free a bunch of capital there as well, negating the need to sell. The portfolio down because we've more or less got the cash out that way so and then there's other repayments as, a, as, a, as we've got touchstone back and if others come back um, again there's our capital coming back like so it's not like we need to back down to zero right away so there's it's, it's a lot of moving pieces and uh, our goal is really in the fall um, we're hoping by the fall the economy is being put back to work and we can see just tr- the true effects of what's happened by the, the whole work stoppages um, and uh, and at that point in time, then the financial markets start to move again, and then we can you know, have productive conversations with 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 p- prospective investors on that. Great, thanks. Um, yeah, I think that uh, that covers me off for now. Thanks, guys. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. There are no further questions. You may proceed.
1: Okay, well, certainly appreciate everybody's uh, participation. As I mentioned before, those who maybe didn't catch it, the slide deck we were referring to is going to be on our website uh, hopefully later today. Uh, as always, uh, we're available for uh, one-on-one discussions with many investors, so just reach out and we're happy to chat. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. We thank you for participating and we ask that you please disconnect your lines.